This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com www.k-a-n-g-a-r-o-o-f-e-r-n.com A Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate Production Biggest thing we can do is just get stops and run. Stops and run, guys. Push, push, push every time. Extra, extra, extra session with Kiko Malikbera tackles everything about the world of sports, especially the one close to the host heart, basketball. Updates, discussion, clarification, name it, extra session has it. Extra, extra, extra session with Kiko Malikbera. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 21 of Extra Session with Kiko Malikdem here in Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate, Philippines. Today, we are very fortunate to have with us a former PBA player, last played for the Pure Foods franchise. He was on his way to become one of the reliable players off the bench when an unfortunate accident happened that stopped his entire universe. Here with us today to talk about his career, life, and his eventual bounce back, and also his book coming out next month. Drafted in the 2003 PBA Rookie Draft as the 15th pick overall, Mr. Eugene Tejada. Hi, Eugene. Hi. Good day. <laughs> Hi. Thank yes. you for having me. Uh, it's good to uh, be back in front of the Philippine audience. It's been a long time, but uh, I'm glad to share my story and ha- have a nice conversation with you. Yes. So uh, how are you doing right now, especially with this COVID thing affecting the lives of everyone worldwide? It's been hard. It's been really hard, you know, being stuck at home. But after my accident, um, I think I was prepared for this because I was home a lot right after my accident. I was in the hospital for almost seven, eight months. Um, And then when I got home, I had to transition into becoming a man in a wheelchair. So that was not easy and a lot of depression. So I was at home a lot. So I'm a little used to this. But now that I have a family and Mm -hmm. kids, it's been hard. It's been really hard. I see. So for the benefit of our younger followers, you know, uh, how did you actually start playing basketball? Uh, I started at a really young age. My father uh, was a professional basketball player there in, in the Philippines during the Mika mm-hmm. days with San Miguel. He played San Veda, was mm-hmm. on the national team. So he's. I've always known about Philippine basketball. Obviously, in the States, I, I grew mm-hmm. up in uh, the Bay Area, uh, actually mm-hmm. Hayward, California. and. Uh, I started to play basketball and got a lot of recognition, especially in the Philadelphia community. Obviously, I tried to make it to the NBA, but, you know, that was really hard at that time. Mm-hmm. But I had a second uh, uh, backup plan, which was the Philippines. Obviously, I'm a Filipino citizen, and my parents were born. When mm-hmm. I was born, I was still a, uh, they were still Filipino citizens, so I had a dual citizenship. So it gave me an opportunity to play there. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. uh, through my high school, I was getting uh, recruited from uh, – from Coach Jong with when he was still with Dallas mm-hmm. and Coach Bernal used to give me calls for Ateneo. But being young and dumb, being real delinquent back then, my parents were like, no way you're going to the Philippines. <laughs> uh, especially, they always say, oh, you might get hurt. But, uh, and obviously, look what happened. I still got hurt <laughs> four years later 
after yeah. not accepting scholarships to Ateneo or LaSalle. So who are, how were you able to bring your talents to the Philippines? Were you invited by some teams or was it your family who pushed you to try your luck here? Uh, like I said, uh, playing professional basketball was always a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain situations, a uh, situation happened in college where a coach was getting, uh, got fired and I mm-hmm. didn't want to start all over. And, uh, um, Bobby Rios who brought in like the oh, first villains. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if people know Bobby Rios. Yeah. I'm really close friends with his son, Robbie, who actually played in the South. Bobby, uh, was mm-hmm. the agent for Danny, Andy Siegel. Uh, and a lot, Arley, <laughs> a lot of imports. A lot of imports. So yeah, like back in the, back in the back in the day, he was one of the first uh, agents, and he, uh, I told him I'm ready to go, and he goes, "All right, let's get this paperwork in, and you know, you're you're legitimate. Uh, let's do it." And uh, <clears throat> uh, two weeks later, I was in the Philippines. I see. So how do you, who do you actually look up to as your basketball idols growing up? Uh no one necessarily in the PBA, I would say Scotty Pippen. Oh, uh, that's yeah. why I wore the number 33. Uh, mm, coming okay. from the Bay Area, I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan. So, uh, T- Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond, and run DMC. Uh, obviously, <laughs> yeah, run TC and uh, uh, Chris Mullen. Um, but uh, definitely, uh, Scotty Pippen was uh, someone I looked up to. Uh, kind of, I almost felt like I kind of played the same way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I tailored my game around him, like really you know, can shoot, can defend, and uh, mm-hmm. an over, overall uh, all-around player. I see. So Scotty Pippen for sure. Okay, I see. Good to find out because basically uh, when you were playing, you, know, you got your playing time in Purefoods, you, we actually got the glimpse of how you could produce. And basically you're one of the reliable players of Coach Ryan Gregorio back then. Now, yeah. You were drafted in 03 by Alaska, if I'm not mistaken, like what I said, second round. Uh, however, you weren't an instant hit back then. What, what do you think happened? How, how was the experience uh, in the rookie season? The rookie season was really hard. Uh, this was the first time in my career or in my life, mm-hmm. just in college and high school, was ne- uh, never part of a rotation, never really set the bench, and it took a lot. A hit on my ego and uh mm-hmm. i explained it in my book where i put all my eggs in one basket uh with basketball i put everything all my effort i didn't concentrate in school i don't have any other skills uh i had a dis- i had learning disabilities i had dyslexia and adhd so it was really hard mm-hmm. but i really flourished in basketball but when i got to alaska it was, it was a very humbling experience and uh being young and uh having no family there just being surrounded by the the glitz and glam of Manila, you know, the going out <laughs> yeah. and stuff. So basically, instead of becoming a superstar on the basketball team, I kind of became superstar of the nightlife over there. And uh, I, I really lost my way. Mm. And I was very uh, not very motivated, uh, especially because I really tried really hard and I played really well in practice. Mm-hmm. But uh, being very young, Coach Tim had a lot of uh, veterans ahead of me. They had John Arrigo, Rob Duat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ray Nohugnaten was my draft, but he's he was known already from, I think was it NBA days. Yes, NBA, NBA. Oh wait, well he was no, he was on Coca Cola. I'm sorry, uh, but mm-hmm. no, I had Rob do a lot, and I just never had an opportunity to play uh, until I got finally got to Pure Foods three years later. But I had a short stint in San Miguel, nice. which they wanted me to stay. But <laughs> sitting behind Danny Siegel and Danny I, I was like, I'm never gonna play here. So let's get. And Coach John said, so do you still want to get traded? Yes. <laughs> I see. So, actually, that was my next question. You found your way to the Purefoods franchise. I mean, 
it was a blessing in disguise as you were able to show your skills and get the playing time that you really wanted. So yeah. basically, you were traded, right? Yeah, I was straight from San Miguel to Pure Foods. Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually with Pure Foods, uh, the conference before as a practice player, just trying to make a team because mm -hmm. uh, I was traded to Shell and then Shell uh, debunked. There were no more. There was no more Shell. <laughs> so I was trying to find my way around the team, but just not having a name and not having an opportunity to show my uh, skills. Mm -hmm. um, I just went to Coach Ryan and I said, "Hey, can I?" Uh, try out and he told me like oh there's there's no way you're going to make the team we're full but during that uh, training camp and that preseason i actually played really well mm. like where he had to sign me and they were <laughs> about to sign me but since san miguel owns pure foods and then and san miguel has seen the practice games and all the the <laughs> preseason they said we'll take him and then coach Ryan said, for what for nothing coach coach uh boss no robert nong said no, you, Eugene's going to San Miguel because Don Don Ontiveros was injured at the time. Yes. And they need someone to spill uh, to be there for a little bit. But I did play a little bit for uh, San Miguel, and I started to show my uh, game. But then once Don Don came back, right back to the bench. See. So, so it was really hard. It was really hard. But then I, as to finish the story, I get back I get to San Miguel. Uh, mm -hmm. Pure Foods, I'm sorry. And then I didn't play the first two games, and I kind of – mentioned something and I said something where it got back to coach Ryan and he goes, Oh, I think you have a problem with my coaching skills. I said, no, no, we were getting blown out. We were had a game again in Hong Kong versus talking text. And I'm like, no, I was just telling coach Pat, like we were getting blown out. You didn't even give me a chance, uh -huh. you know? And then he said, okay, so next game you're going to start. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and that game, I be that first game I ever started from pure foods. I was player of the game, and I never wow. set the bench after that. <laughs> so it was, it you was, know, everything fell. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I always knew, I always knew I can play, and especially if a coach gave me a confidence, mm -hmm. I knew I can play in the PBA. I just mm -hmm. needed the confidence of a coach where, I, when I played, I, I wasn't worried about any mistakes. Yeah, just free flow game. Mm -hmm. I mean, as any player could tell you, like if they're worried about getting out of the game, they're not going to play well, and that, I think that's how it was for me in the last but. Coach Ryan kind of said, all right, let me see. You had something wrong with my coaching style. Let me see what you can do. Player of the game. What did Coach back Ryan back. tell you after? <laughs> oh, he was no, he was just like nothing. He just kept playing me because we won. We, we were winning. You yeah. couldn't take me out. <laughs> but then I had an ankle injury. Mm -hmm. And then I, my first game back from the ankle injury was the game on Mother's Day 2006 oh, where I broke my neck. Oh, now, look. That's we're going to that uh, I mean incident right now. So mm -hmm. all of this basketball dreams came to halt May 14, 2006, Mother's Day in Ares Center. Can could you still recall the sequence of events that led to that accident? What yeah, was the I, feeling at the time and how actually did you feel? Okay, yeah. Uh, so we were getting blown out by uh, in the fourth I, quarter. But if we would have won that game we went into semis, but like I said, I was coming back from an ankle injury and mm -hmm. coach Ryan even asked me, do you want to go back in? And I'm like, yeah, let me just get the, let me get my win back. Let me get the rhythm back, even though we're losing. So, mm -hmm. and I played well the, when I went back in, I scored like maybe I think two or four points in a row. Yeah. And then at, a minute later, after my last basket, uh, I went up for a rebound. Roger Yap was driving to the lane. Mm -hmm. He got fouled. I got the rebound. 
someone undercut me. And that's while I was undercut, Mick Panisi fell on my neck and broke my C5, C6. And we all know how big Mick, Mick, yeah, Mick yeah, Panisi yeah. is. Yes. He is so at six, eight, six, nine, maybe 260, 270. Uh -huh. But uh, it's, a, it's a play I've done millions of times, thousands of times in my career, mm -hmm. ever since I was a kid. You know, you, you, you scramble for the loose ball. And he just landed right on my neck and he think he hit the perfect perfect spot which broke my c5 c6 which felt like uh just like i use this metaphor a lot like how a computer crashes like or or short circuit your house so like you uh, you know you short circuit your house that's yeah. what it felt like i felt like my hands were by my feet and my, my feet were by my ears and a lot of electricity our body our body is electricity so you can feel like shock moving and all of a sudden it turned off like a light switch and i couldn't move a thing I see. And I was stuck on the floor. I mean, the video, you know, we were we were seeing it. Uh, I I could still remember because I'm a well back then. I'm a big Purefoods fan. Before I went sure. into you know into sports casting and I mean sports writing, I was a big Purefoods fan. So I was you know following sure. the games and I saw that. And when the the cameras uh, focused on you and you were crying. I said to myself, oh, no, this is something, you know, unusual, something bad has happened. Because seldom that you could see a player crying. And, yeah. I, I, and based on the replays, you know, something is really wrong with it. Yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, you were saying something about, I mean... During that time, I, yeah, I, 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 I remember everything. People always ask, Do you remember? I remember like yesterday, mm -hmm. and I, I instantly knew I was paralyzed. And I said, I can't feel, I can't feel and the crazy thing. People ask, Were you in pain? No, it felt like a stiff neck. The fear was I couldn't move, like mm -hmm. I was stuck. And I, uh, uh, and I knew I was paralyzed. The reason why I knew I was paralyzed, obviously, I can't feel, but surprisingly enough, uh, I was reading the Christopher Reeves book who, who played Superman. Yes, sir. back in the '80s, and mm -hmm. he had a catastrophic injury. Uh, horse, uh, he was horseback riding. Yeah, and he was basically decapitated by his horse, and he mm -hmm. was paralyzed. And I was reading that book at that times. I, I, that's that I always talk about that, like how crazy that is. I'm reading about a, book, a man who was paralyzed, and now I'm paralyzed. Oh yeah. So I instantly knew. So mm -hmm. those tears were not tears of pain; those tears are uh, tears of fear. I knew my career was over. I see. So some people were quick to point fingers at Mick Penisi because maybe of his late reaction of falling to you. Well, actually, this this one was, you know, was this question also shown by, you know, one of the followers, Farley Aguila. He, he, he said, you know, he wanted to know if, you know, what was your feeling towards Mick? And, and uh, of course, because of that incident, because of his late reaction, probably, of falling to you, how did you honestly felt a few days after towards Mick? Uh, a lot of anger and frustration. Mm -hmm. um, but me being a very empathetic person, uh, mm -hmm. I had some. He said he didn't do it on purpose, mm -hmm. and I have to take his word for that. Um, mm -hmm. But we all know Nick. We all know Mick. Mm -hmm. Mick, <laughs> Mick was one one of those dudes. You knew he was there. Yeah, whether he yeah. with his weight his elbows or just the way he played but mm -hmm. i didn't find i didn't ask him that maybe to five years later but a lot the whole time i kept saying why me not necessarily what why did mick do this to me mm -hmm. just the whole situation like yes. you asked like why me why does this have to happen what did, did i do to deserve this uh like was i a bad person 
Mm-hmm. I, I never, I never felt like I wasn't. You can ask any PBA player, anybody in the yes. media. Like I, I was never known to be uh, hard-headed or mean yes, to yes. anyone. Uh-huh. Um, I had a good reputation, and I felt mm-hmm. like I, uh, my parents brought me up very humble. But mm-hmm. you always question that. Like I mean, it can it happens anyway. People can have cancer, strokes, mm-hmm. and you can't measure anyone's problems. You just always ask, ask the question, "Why me?" Yes. But no, uh, anything towards Mick right away, obviously frustration, hurt, and uh, always wondering if he knew I was there. Yeah. But like I said, I didn't know the answer until maybe three, four years later when I went back to the Philippines for the first time after the accident. I see. So he did reach out to you? Uh, he did not necessarily reach out to me. A funny story, uh, Tony Delacruz, who I became really close after mm-hmm. the accident, uh, mm-hmm. told me a story how he was on the national team with uh, – Mick and okay. Kirby, and they were sitting in the back of the plane. And Kirby had asked them out of the blue, like, "Why did you do that to Eugene?" Mm-hmm. And then Tony, Tony sitting in the back, like, "Oh, right, right here." And then he goes, "What do you mean, Kirby?" Or like, "What do you mean? Do you think I did this on purpose? I didn't do this. I didn't know he was there." <laughs> okay. But you know, you have to question that just based on uh, Mick's uh, reputation. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I came to visit. Tony had told me that story and he said, would you want to go to Mick's house? Mm-hmm. We were having dinner. It was me, Willie Wilson and Brandon Kobobly. Yes. We all went to dinner and he just added the blues and Tony asked me, would you want to see him? So he texted him and they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, he said, yeah, come over. Mm-hmm. Then we talked and I asked him, Hey man, I have to ask, did you know, or did you do it on purpose? I mean, you, you can tell me the truth or I just tell me the truth. And he said he didn't know I was there. Mm-hmm. Now, do I believe him? Of course I have to take his word first or else I'll be prisoner to this and unforgiveness mm-hmm. forever. Yes. And yes. if it's his, if it's his issue of lying to me, which I don't believe, but if it was his, this is my thinking back then mm-hmm. that he has to carry that for the rest of his life. Not me. Yes. Now, uh, after that accident, you know, your basketball dreams obviously were shattered and thinking, I mean, what were you thinking when you woke up after that accident? Uh, I, ne- I never passed out. I, I remember everything, every situation, uh, going in, uh, being on the floor for so long, there was no mm-hmm. ambulance. There was a typhoon. Mm-hmm. There was a typhoon and their ambulance left. And I think now I'm the road. There's always an ambulance now till this day at the PBA games, probably yeah. because of me. <laughs> because you know, with a spinal cord injury, every second counts. Yes. Anywhere else in the world, I believe. I mean, I'm not going to point fingers, but I believe that mm-hmm. uh, if I would have got hurt anywhere else in the world, they would have mm-hmm. helicoptered me somewhere. Yes, but that was not the case in Manila. Did you have some bad feelings on that day before going to the venue? Or you have eerie feelings that some eerie feel. You yeah. know, surprisingly, yeah. Uh, I didn't have eerie feelings. Yeah. But it was a Sunday afternoon game in Antipolo and I, I didn't do my regular routine of going to to my diner where I have breakfast every morning mm-hmm. the same waiter gives me he knows my meal <laughs> he gives me the remote for the TV it was Mel's uh, is it Mel's Diner? Metro Diner is it Metro or Mel's Diner it's probably yeah. not there anymore <laughs> in Rockwell I would go there and then after that breakfast I would go and get like a dessert from Starbucks yeah. and that day I didn't do it because uh my sister was graduating from college, so I gave them a call instead and talked to my family instead of going to, I see. to breakfast. 
and my girlfriend at the time was there at my house so i was just like ah let's just skip Mm. it this day (laughs) not an eerie feeling just i didn't go do my usual routine yes yes. and i sometimes i always thought about that like why did what if why why did why didn't I just go to breakfast over there? Yes, I, I do it every game day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nothing eerie, just broke mm. broke my superstition. Yeah. So have you watched the replay or have you tried avoiding seeing that clip? Uh, when I first got hurt, I wanted to see it. When once I mm-hmm. saw it, I didn't want to see it again. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's an interview on YouTube I did for uh, the PBA. Oh, yeah. At, I remember. at their studio. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I saw the accident all the way through, mm-hmm. all the way through seeing my face. And that was hard. I and see. after that trip, I didn't see it again until maybe when I, maybe like maybe a couple months ago when I was like, all right, now I, I got to write about it again. So I watched it mm-hmm. and, and it, it's still painful to watch. And uh, I just shared it on my Instagram and Facebook and then people are messaging me like it's so hard to watch, and I go, I, I agree, it is, because uh, you see, man, they're crying, mm-hmm. motionless, yes. and uh, just a lot of uh, memories come back. And me looking at the video helped me write my book. Nice. Hel- actually, helped me heal and write my book. Yeah. Now, th- did the your team, the Pure Foods franchise, or let's say the PBA Players Group, help you out with your rehabilitation? Pure Foods is great. They uh, they accommodated me. They paid for the surgery. You know, I wasn't a high-played player. And, uh, you know, they treated me like I was one, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, the next year I would have been one of the high-paid players because we've already <laughs> talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they already knew, I already knew I was going to resign with Pure Foods mm-hmm. <clears throat> because of my, I was having a, a great conference and they were talking about me being most improved just from that one conference because yes. I was averaging <laughs> zero to 15 and – Eight. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we were already talking. There's no way they were going to let me go. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, no, it was our, what was the question again? Sorry. Was uh, that, oh, oh. Well, I mean, did the Pure Foods franchise? Oh, Pure Foods, up- yeah. oh, yes. They took care of me. Great. They flew me back to the States. Uh, but after that, it was all on me. You know, yeah. that's the hard part going back to the States with no insurance. Mm-hmm. They gave me a little bit of money. Uh, there was a foundation, uh, a, f- a foundation that started by Sarah Myers and uh, Jack mm-hmm. Forrester, LJ. Yes. A lot of my artista friends and uh, uh, they and some of the PBA players did a fundraiser, and they raised maybe I think a twenty thousand dollars to mm-hmm. help with my rehab. And uh, I think Pure Foods helped me a lot while I was there. Yeah, this twenty thousand from my fr- uh, friends I that see. were in the industry did a fundraiser. And made for, and and I think they played a celebrity basketball game. I'm pretty sure they did, and they called mm-hmm. it Step by Step Foundation, Eugene Tejada. Mm-hmm. And I'm forever grateful for them to help. But after that, it was all on me, and it, that was hard. I, I I I made pretty good money, but when you get hurt and going back to the states with no insurance, mm-hmm. I lost all that money. Yeah, basically. Uh, just, you you decided. You said you went to the state after a few months. Was this the recommendation of your doctor or a family de- decision? It was my decision. There was no way. I was seeing what potential kind of therapy there was mm-hmm. in the States compared to Manila. 
I had to go to give myself a chance. Uh, I think I remember Pierfoot saying, if you stay here, we'll pay for your therapy forever. And maybe like a, like a, a contract. I think that I, I'm not going to get, I'm not, I don't, I think they did that mm-hmm. for me, but I was like, no. So they cut me a check and they said, all right, well, this is what we'll help you with if you're going to leave. Mm-hmm. So I left, I decided to leave and uh, tried my best in the States. But then once I got to the States, I realized they weren't training me to get better. They were training me to basically be in a wheelchair. I so that was hard. So, so, so basically, yes. I knew my, my career was, I knew my career was over, but there was always that little bit of hope. But when you see the kind of training that mm-hmm. they're actually training you to do, you're like, oh, this might not, this might never get better. I see. And yeah. So uh, this is a personal question, but, Sure. What could have been done differently at that time of that accident to somehow lessen the impact or pain you had? Um, like I said, the hell, no ambulance. Yes. Uh, when you break your neck, uh, every second counts because blood rushes through the spinal cord mm-hmm. and, it, and it kind of floods the nerves. Mm-hmm. And then I think every second that went by, scar tissue developed and that's what I was stuck with. And I've healed, miraculously healed a lot. Yes. Uh, compared to the, what, the, what the doctor said, four uh, percent chance of ever walking. I walk now with crutches. Mm-hmm. Just I always imagine like, what if their ambulance was there? Or what if there was a helicopter to take me? What if I had immediate attention? Where where would I be? Yeah. And we'll never know the answer to that because there wasn't one. I I think uh, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to recall things. But I think Governor Pardo, Rene Pardo, was very frustrated because there's no ambulance in that area. Yeah. And it was, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot to tell one part of the story. Yeah. That, uh, the team officials brought out some uh, plywood and said, let's just put them here and roll them back to the, uh, oh, no. to, the, uh, to the locker room so we can continue playing. And Mr. Pardo and Dr. Sanchez, Rafi Sanchez of Pure Foods, hmm. said, no, we can't move him. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank God they didn't because who knows if they... <laughs> If someone tried to, like, they tried to carry me with plywood and actually drop me, I could have, I, you know what, I could have actually, if it was just a, a, maybe a centimeter or maybe half a centimeter higher, yes. I could have suffocated there. You know, I mm-hmm. would have lost my ability to breathe because I, uh, I think that's more of the two and then we're only in, what, five, six. So that's like less than that. So if I would have, <laughs> if, if it would have hit there. I would have died on the floor. I see. Yeah, because I, I could, you know, I, I saw Governor Pardo kicking something because he's very angry, <laughs> like something like that. That, that uh, was the plywood. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for clarifying that because, you know, you could see he, he is very, you know, <laughs> uh, concerned with what's happening to you. Uh, yeah. So uh, were you able to talk to your, you know, former teammates about it? Uh, did, they, did they, you know... Uh, reach out to you and ask, how are you uh, doing? Yeah. Um, as teammates wise, mm-hmm. uh, the only person that kind of kept in contact was Kirby. He, he actually even came to the States and visited me at the rehab center. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after the season he came and, mm-hmm. uh, but no, not, not necessarily anyone on my, that team, but uh, a lot of te- players from the Pat, other teams, I see. uh, like Danny Siegel was, uh, was there all the time with mm-hmm. me always checking up on me harvey carey and jimmy Olapog nice. are two of my mm-hmm. best friends there mm-hmm. uh, they never left my side they they call every week almost 
every week just to see how I am. Every time mm-hmm. they visit the States, they buy me a plane ticket to meet them up anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, John Ardonio, Rob Duwat is actually from my hometown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, bo- we both went to the same high school, so we still had a great uh, relationship during that time. And he was w- one of the guys that I leaned on the most yes. because he had retired from the PBA and then he was home. So he was, he was around a lot. But no one um, really, except except uh, Kirby in the beginning. Mm-hmm. After that, it was just the friendships that I had before I went on Pure Foods with Rob, um, Jim, Jimmy, and Harvey. Mostly, mostly those three. I see. And Tony. And once I got, once I visited the first time, back me and Tony Dela Cruz uh, had a uh, really good relationship. I see. Now, what was the challenges or struggles that you faced when you were rehabilitating? Or how was the recovery for you? Uh, the recovery was really hard. Mostly not the physical aspect. Mm-hmm. It was more the emotional, the loss, uh, the, the anger, the pain. A lot of the emotional stuff that I had to deal with. Nothing really the physical. I knew that I was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only can try my best to get better. And uh, but. More than anything, it was the emotional healing uh, mm-hmm. that I needed to. That was hard. I was very depressed. My uh, my girlfriend left me in a cruel way. I mean, it'll be in the book. I don't really want to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, she left me. Um, I was seeing my friends do well and a lot of jealousy and hate because uh, mm-hmm. I felt like that should have been me. I should mm-hmm. still be playing. I was in my prime. I was getting all these endorsements starting to come in and, you know, all those things, those perks that you dream of as a kid when you become a basketball player was all gone and you saw people that you felt like, uh, I felt like I was better than getting all those things. And that was the hard, just seeing people be so happy while I'm so such in a dark place and being a prisoner in my own body because I can't move. So that was really hard. Mm -hmm. How were you able to cope up with the sudden changes in your life? Uh, and it was uh, how to cope is uh, my friends, family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, they stepped up, and I found out who my real friends were. Um, you feel like you have millions of thousands of friends when you're in Manila, but when adversity hits, the real mm-hmm. ones actually stepped up. And my real friends back home, yeah, yeah. Uh, they stepped up, and uh, my parents, you know, they my dad retired just to take me to therapy. My mom worked extra just to help me pay uh, pay for mm-hmm. therapy. My sister was a big emotional boost for me. I, I leaned on her. She, you know, kept me, tried to keep me emotionally strong, but it was it was my battle to deal with. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say community and uh, friendships and relationships that uh, stuck around was actually helped me cope the most. I see. Uh, yeah. And then uh, were you able to, you know, check the PBA games Lately, what what do you think are the changes that you saw in today's game compared to the you know your playing days? Uh, you know, I don't. I'm not in tune with the PBA too much. I just asked mm-hmm. Jimmy and Harvey like, "How are you guys doing now that they're <laughs> almost retired, not playing that much?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't tell me much. They don't tell me much. Uh, so you try but, to avoid uh, yeah. watching basketball. You know, <laughs> not. I don't avoid watching. Ba- I watched it. But there's a Laker game on right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now. <laughs> So, uh, uh, no, I love basketball still, but just PBA, I kind of, like, went away from it because it, it was hard to watch. It was hard to see mm. uh, people people doing well. 
and I hated that. And the, the hardest part is I'm not, I hated to be a hater. You yeah. know what I mean? Do you know yeah. that, what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't want to hate that they're doing well. It's just, it could have been you. So, <laughs> that should have been me. Yeah. But it was so hard because I had such an un unfortunate in incident that mm -hmm. never happened before. And it still hasn't happened since, except I think I heard one person in Cebu was playing against Alaska. I think Woodrow Enriquez, maybe. Okay. I don't know. He got paralyzed as well. Ah, Woodrow Enriquez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I am. Um, So it, it was just a free accident. So it was hard to see yes. people do well when I was stuck in my depression and dark days. Now, how were you ever, I mean, you know, it's obvious, obviously you, you will feel bad about yourself. Uh, a lot of what ifs and like what you said, depression kicks in. Mm -hmm. How were you able to, you know, um, avoid, you know, avoid it or beat depression? I, I, I know it's, you know, it's pretty hard, but, You know, it seems that you have a formula for you to, you know, to defeat it. Something like that. Uh, there's, there's a formula for everyone. They just have to tap into it. And I found that in Jesus Christ. I wasn't looking for my faith. My faith mm -hmm. found me. Yes. I was actually working with a clairvoyant in the new holistic, new age kind of feel. Because I, I, for some reason, I didn't look to Jesus first. But she taught me how to meditate and uh, learn how to be still. Mm -hmm. And as I, I was meditating, when she taught, she taught me and I heard a voice like how we're just talking right now. I'm the one mm -hmm. healing it. And I was like, what was that? Right? Like, it was like, what was that? So mm -hmm. then I, for some reason, I had a Bible given to me from, you know, from the Philippines. Someone, so many people visit. I don't know who gave me this Bible. And I opened it to the Bible for mm -hmm. the first time and, Who knows how long and it opens up to Jesus heals a paralytic mm -hmm. I felt like God was talking to me because he's the one that was healing me and then like I said uh, I healed a lot those first few months uh, when I got back to therapy but I wasn't really trying because I was so depressed but mm -hmm. I was healing miraculously nice. like I was starting to stand I started to walk and but not not anything to do with me so when he said that he was the one healing me so mm -hmm. That's when I found my faith. I see. So that's the formula. Mm, I see. Now, what kept you busy when you were on the recovery stage? What are you doing right now? Now I'm now like yes. this time. Mm -hmm. 14 years after that, I'm a stay-home dad. I stay-home dad. Mm -hmm. uh, me and my wife move around a lot because of her job, I see. and uh, we don't have family around, so I stay home. Mm -hmm. Especially during the pandemic, we took the kids out of school so they can stay home. So we. So I had to stay home. But like, before that, I was driving Uber. Oh, Just driver for Uber. I But see. the crazy thing, uh, that was part of the reason why I also started to write, rewrite this book because I would tell my story to the people I drove and they were so inspired that they actually would contact me and say that was a blessing to them. And uh, thank you for telling me the, my story. And it, and it became, and, then, and I started to become a little motivational speaker when the people I met through Uber, yes. I would speak at certain events for them and they would pay me. Uh, mm -hmm. I also did that in Manila for a little bit when I used to come back, uh, yes. thanks to Tony, who uh, introduced me to the motivational speaking circuit, and he, I guess he's doing that now. Yes. He's telling his story. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so during there now, that's what I've, I've been doing, but now during this pandemic, 
it gave me time to actually really heal from all the trauma that I was still carrying and write this book. Mm-hmm. And that's what I share in this book is uh, actually my healing journey uh, in these pages I wrote. Now, if the accident didn't occur, uh, how long do you see yourself playing in the PBA? Uh, my goal was at least 10 to 12, mm. 8 to 12 maybe. Yes. You know, so that was, my, uh, that was the goal, but obviously it ended at three, almost four. Okay. Now, would you, you know, you said you have, your, you have children already, right? And uh, would you encourage your children to play basketball? Oh, absolutely. This is a free, freak accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to see them play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would love for them to carry that on, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't force them to because um, mm-hmm. they might you know, ask one day, what happened to you? And I tell them I got hurt playing basketball. And then oh, yeah. who knows, they might not want to play, but I would never push them to play. No, yeah. but I would love for them to. Now, was there a time that you thought of giving up considering it's not an easy to accept that, uh, that, your dreams suddenly came to an end. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I wanted, I, get, I wanted to give up so many times. So many times. I want to actually, I, I mean, I, I tell in the book, or I, I've told this in different interviews, I, I mm-hmm. even, even tried to kill myself uh, by taking all my pills. Mm-hmm. It was that bad. It was so dark that uh, it was around the time my girlfriend left me at the time. Mm-hmm. I knew my career was over. I just didn't see it a light out. And then uh, I almost, I almost did it. I almost, almost, I, I had so many pills right next to me, and I just wanted to give it up because that it felt like my life was a movie. You see this stuff in a movie, but I was actually living it. And yes, I've always wanted to just stay asleep because my, when I was asleep, I would have dreams, mm-hmm. and I was happy during my dreams. And there's days I woke up crying. So mm-hmm. definitely, I wanted to give up. Okay, now you have written a book. Uh, with this due due to be released by next month October Uh, can you share it to us what is it all about it's all about my journey Um, Mm -hmm. journey about how I fell in love with basketball how I healed from it Uh, Mm -hmm. we sometimes uh, my biggest failure I talk about is not knowing who I was outside of basketball Mm -hmm. I put all my eggs in one basket. Uh, I was, like I mentioned earlier, I had learning disability, so I didn't really try too hard in school or any academics or any other Mm -hmm. skills. I only concentrated on basketball, and I put everything in that, and it was stripped away. And I didn't know who I was. And obviously, after that was stripped away, I became a quadriplegic, a disabled Mm -hmm. man, and that became my identity. And uh, I think the process of writing this book, this is actually the third time, was I had a vision two years ago on my birthday uh, mm-hmm. of uh, a light trying to shine and I was having dreams of trying to shine but I had so much trauma and trauma on me and uh, trauma even accolades that were covering me from showing who my real self was so I write about shedding all these things and I write about forgiveness and I write about my faith how I found my faith and it's basically a journey to, almost a guide to help people go through their own problems especially with this pandemic uh, we are all prisoners at home right now, so might as well lean in and kind of heal whatever you you think uh, you should sit alone and you know kind of work do the work to try to find that healing that you still carry. You said you started. I mean, this is the third try that you have for this for a book. What are the yeah. challenges that you encountered? Because I can only imagine 
how hard it is recalling the experience. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the reason uh, it's the third try, the first time uh, when I went back to the Manila, Tony said, write a book. So then I was mm -hmm. like, what am I going to write about? So I basically wrote about um, my youth all the way up to the present day of when I was writing after the act, my playing career, then the accident, write about it. But there was no depth. There was no, there was no substance in the book. It was just telling the story. And, uh, and I felt like there was no power, transformative power in that. Like, I don't, I don't think it would inspire anyone. That's maybe me just getting in the way mm -hmm. of uh, not letting people know my story. Or, and then the second time was like, people would always come up to me or they still do. You know, you're such an inspiration for just continuing. And, and I was just like, I felt like I was such an imposter and I was doing the work to become inspiration, but I'm just not feeling it. And like I said, I felt like an imposter. Yes. This third time writing the book was uh, actually having a true, true transformation and redemptive mm -hmm. power through God that he made me sit in my, in, during this pandemic and uh, really get into my feelings and emotions that I was still carrying and the trauma that I still had that uh, I would never healed from. And I wrote about it and it actually healed me as a, I wrote these words on these pages these past two years and the pandemic helped where it actually, I actually got to finish it. Okay. So, uh, Eugene, could you, I mean, the floor is yours to promote your book and, uh, where can we, you know, purchase it or how, sure. how can we get it? Something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, my book is called ready to rise, uh, from paralysis to liberation, the Eugene Tejada story. It will be out in, uh, maybe, Late October, as earliest as October 30th, maybe first week of November. Um, just iron out the details and formatting of the book. You can find it probably, it's going to be on Amazon and all digital uh, platforms, Kindle, iBooks. Uh, I don't know what the Android one is, but you mm -hmm. can find all the digital ones. And uh, you can follow me on Eugene Tejada33 on Instagram, same with Twitter. And there's a Facebook page for my book. and. Uh, I'll have uh, up-to-date date details on when book, the book will come out. And, uh, yeah. Yes. So we're looking forward to that. I'm, I am looking forward to, to get one of those uh, once it becomes available. So uh, you have any message to your fans, to your family, to all the supporters that, I mean, you have touched? Oh, sure. Uh, thank you to all the fans in the Philippines. Uh, my friends and family that uh, stuck by me, uh, I wouldn't be here without you guys. And definitely to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who saved me uh, in my dark days and uh, brought the light into me so that I can be a light to everyone and share my story and hopefully it can help people heal. Um, but my message to everyone was like, who are you after you? Who are you behind all your accolades and all your traumas and all your just imagine everything gets stripped away, just like happened to me. Who are you? I, and I, I invite you to find who you are inside and not the baggage that you carry and you think that you are. Uh, mm -hmm. I just invite you to just heal from the inside out. And uh, I feel like everyone should submit to God and he'll show you true freedom like you've never known before. I see. This is just like a hot seat, something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, what is the fondest memory of playing in the league, in the PBA? Fondest memory? Yes. Is uh, being drafted. 
being trapped. That, was a, that just knowing that your professional dream had started and it came true. Now, if we were back then, if we were to check your sports bag, what thing would we see that will surprise us? Candy. candy. I had a lot of candy all the time. <laughs> gummy bears. I was a big gummy bear guy. I always it, had something it, gummy. Is it allowed? You know, because the basketball players are, let's say, are are conscious about their, you know, their health. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was my first few years on Alaska. I was a little chubby. I see. Chubby. Yeah, That's yeah, why I, I was kind of. Blue. I was a well. They wanted me to play power forward, and I mm. never played power forward. So I, I I put on muscle and and went more fat than muscle. Yeah. Let's just be honest. And, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I could still remember that because you're standing six foot five inches. And of course, in the Philippines, you know, if you stand six five, you would be more on the front court already, <laughs> power yeah. forward center. You, you seem to be, you know, fit. What, what's your weight right now? My weight? Yeah. My weight's only 185. I'm, wow. I'm, so heavy, I'm heavy into the ketogenic diet. Yes. Uh, more for the... <laughs> More for the not the weight loss, but mm-hmm. more for the for the brain. I see. Uh, it's it's good for your brain. Uh, ketogenic diet. I see. Now uh, I have names of persons here. You describe them in one to four words. One, one word will be fine. Yeah. One word will be fine. Okay, Coach Ryan Gregorio. He gave me a chance. <laughs> uh, Coach Tim Cohn. Genius. Danny Siegel. Dynamite. Harvey Curry. Deep. <laughs> Alex Compton. Mentor. Coach Bo Perasol. Bo Perasol. Don't really know him. Sorry. I know who he is, but didn't yeah. get to know. Uh, kind. Because uh, I remember he, uh, he helped me out when I, was in, uh, when I first came back. He heard my story and gave me a little bit of money to help me with therapy. And, uh, so I would say kind. Generous. I see. And, of course, Jimmy Alapag. The Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Leader. For sure. I see. Okay, so I guess that's that wraps up our episode for Extra Session. Thank you so much, Eugene. I know you've been doing a lot of things. And, of course, you're busy promoting your book. We yeah. look forward to, you know, to purchasing that, uh, purchasing or getting that copy of your book once it's out. We'll stay tuned. And, of course, once it's available, we'll also promote it. So for everyone to... To actually know and you know have a chance to get a copy of it so we would like to thank you your recovery will serve a big inspiration to everyone else thank you so much your determination is something else and we look forward for another you know interview sometime near future sure yeah no, thank you for having me thank you for the opportunity to tell my story and help promote uh, the book. Um, I hope it's a blessing to you and to anyone that gets the chance to read it, as it was a blessing for me just to write it and heal from uh, from my own wounds. Okay. So, in behalf of the Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate Philippines, this is Kiko Malikdem, and like what I said always at the end of the show, Run. games are always exciting when there is extra session. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And if you want to know more, 
check out www.guerillapodcast.com.au or guerillapodcast.com.ph. A Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate Production. We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com. Are you ready to finally start your own podcast? Maybe you already have one, but need a podcast manager to help you level up. We're here for either. Book a call at www.kangroofern.com www.kangaroofern.com